Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Leadership Academy Network. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Plus, don't forget, you can now play this podcast on any Amazon-enabled device. Just ask Alexa, play the Dynamic Leaders podcast. Getting Dynamic Leaders with Colin Treniglia from Apple Podcasts. Before this episode begins, please consider taking a minute and leave a rating and review. Doing this really does help us grow the show, and you can get featured for your review on a future episode. Our presenting affiliate sponsor for this podcast episode is Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web is an industry leader in CBD hemp products that can help you with faster workout recoveries or to obtain better sleep. You can browse their entire product line at charlottesweb.com. And use the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive 15% off of all purchases. And we move on to my featured conversation today where I had the opportunity to speak with Morgan Jones. Morgan is the founder of Athletes to Visionaries as well as a color commentator covering ACC women's basketball. Morgan is a retired professional basketball player herself the former McDonald's All-American played Division I college basketball first at Northwestern before finishing her career at Florida State. Today's conversation with Morgan covers topics like why it's so important for us to know and like ourselves, how having a vision can actually help you slow down your approach, how she overcame bullying because of size and race, and how basketball taught her how to have a selfless style where she could thrive as a distributor. Morgan is such an energetic person. This is really such an enjoyable conversation. I know you are going to like it, so let's dive right into it and let's discover our talent altitude. Here is my conversation with Morgan Jones. Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest on the line with me is Morgan Jones. Morgan, thank you so much for joining the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I am so excited to get to talk to you about the work that you're doing and about your athletic career. But before I spoil it for everybody, I first want to give you an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? Who am I? Wow, such a great question that needs to be asked more often. Um, I'm a mother. I am a fiance. I am a sister. I'm a daughter. And I'm a dynamic leader that leads with Christ in front. I'm a woman that knows my priorities and purpose in life and is going to do everything I can to achieve that and make this world a better place. Beautiful. And I love just right from the start of this conversation, how confident you were in 
response to that question? Because I know that can be as easy as a question as it seems. It can be difficult for people and they don't take the time to really think about who am I? And we let other people dictate our identities and we let the things that we do dictate our identities. And I know this is at the heart of some of the work that you do and some of the passions and we will dive into it deeper here in just a minute. But first I want to start with most of my guests have some type of athletic background and you're no different in that sense. You were a former McDonald's all American. And for people who don't know that that's one of the highest honors you can have at the high school level for the sport of basketball. And then you went on to play division one basketball before venturing off into a professional career. So I'd love to talk a little bit about athletics and what that was like for you and how that really shaped you as a person. Yeah, absolutely. So basketball kind of found me in a way. Um, I was obviously very tall. I'm six two now as a grown woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> but growing up, it was kind of like, where do I fit in? And, you know, in middle school, I was uh, bullied a lot just for being tall, kind of awkward, and then picked up a basketball. My parents coached, uh, my sister played, so it kind of just fell into line. But I really felt a sense of belonging in basketball. I loved the fact that it could bring friendship, community, and bring together people from all different backgrounds and walks of life together to achieve one common goal, which was to win a basketball game. So in in doing that and just really enjoying the fun part of the sport, I kind of became pretty good at it. Like, <laughs> I think it's funny when people are like, oh, how did you get to being like the top 10 player in the country? And I'm like, because I was having a lot of fun doing it. And, you know, sure. of course, obviously being tall and my parents putting a ball in my hand early on, I became a tall guard, which is very unique. But just kept kind of working at my game. And I can remember being a sophomore in high school, and I was top 20 in the country. I was number 19 specifically. And, you know, I sat down with my parents, and I was like, by the time I'm done, I want to be a top 10 player in the country. And they're like, okay, well, that's going to take some work, some leadership, but we can do it. And I can just remember, you know, always, like, working on my game, always found so much joy in – my other teammates doing really well. So I love to pass the ball. I love to make them look good. And in doing that, by the time I got to my senior year, I was the number ninth player in the country. So basically like just kind of scratching the surface there. So with that, obviously comes a lot of uh, college offers, scholarships, attention, which hindsight, you know, really fortunate that I was able to have that type of platform because my whole and all of my teammates went to college as well. So everyone on my team went to college and played because a lot of the coaches came to see me and they got to see my teammates do all the great things they can do as well. Um, so that was really, really gratifying. From there, I went on to Northwestern University. So I started my career there in Chicago, loved Chicago, got to play a year with my sister. She was there as well. Um, and then transferred to Florida State University where I had the best college experience ever. And I kind of asked myself, you know, at Northwestern in the cold, um, we weren't winning very much, but <laughs> <laughs> I can remember being like, okay, so let's say I don't win all the time in basketball or nothing goes great. You know, you hear people say all the time, you really don't know really what you're getting. What do I want to make sure that I have at the end of my college career process? And I was like, I want a college experience. I want to enjoy college and everything that college is for. 
And I did that at Florida State. We won national championship in football. Um, so obviously there was tons of partying there. <laughs> and then we actually were pretty good at, at basketball, women's basketball too. I came in, we only had seven active players, went to the NCAA tournament, and I finished um, my career there as a top 10 team in the country and um, finished off as at the Elite Eight. We lost to go to the Final Four. So cool. And there are so many amazing aspects that you just unlocked for us. And I'm hoping we can dive a little bit deeper into at least a few of them here in our conversation. The first is, and I think so many of us deal with some type of bullying and maybe it's to a certain degree, if you want to call it strictly bullying or just teasing or whatever it is, but especially when we're younger and we're trying to fit in and we all have, for me, I I was the complete opposite. As far as height goes, I'm, I'm a short guy. So for yeah. me, it was being short. For you, it was being tall. And people, you know, when you're playing basketball, that's an advantage, right? Like right. that, there you fit in. But mm-hmm. in the context of the general population, it may be a little bit more difficult. So I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about how you dealt with some of that maybe insecurity that came with being so tall at a young age and how you were able to get through those tough moments of adversity. I mean, to be quite frank with you, it was the leadership around me. It was my parents speaking into me, finding things that I was interested in outside of, you know, just school. I think it's so important for kids to get involved and try so many different things because you need that guidance, right? You need that direction. You need to be always working towards something, right? And when you don't, then you fall to the wayside to those insecurities and bullies Um, things that aren't healthy for you. So direction and vision is really important. And I had, my parents are just phenomenal in in helping me really kind of build up that security and and see the great things about being tall. Even though some of my classmates would have said differently, they made sure that, you know, I was, I felt secure in going to school by making sure that I had clothes that fit me and making sure they were always at my games to tell me I was doing great. You know, those type of things that you need at such a young age. Sure. Awesome. And the other really important aspect that you talked about in, so you get to be a top 10 overall player. And Mm -hmm. I think for the majority of people, so let's talk about the general population. When they think of elite basketball players, they think about people that can get to the rim, people that can score. And your style of basketball, at least from what you talked about, seems like it was a little bit different. You were very selfless in the way that you played, distributing the ball to your teammates. And then you even talked about how all of your teammates ended up getting some type of college offers because there's scouts looking at you and how that just helped them. And you were had the self-awareness to understand that at such a young age. So the selfless style of play and the selfless attitude that I'm sure is just a part of your everyday nature. (laughs) Where does that come from? How do we build that type of skill? Because it's so unique and most people just simply don't have it. And I think that as a leader, it's definitely something that can really help you and help you stand out amongst all the other people. Mm -hmm. And when you say you mean like in terms of like the selflessness or which piece of that? Yeah, just selflessness overall. I know that was part of your game, but also I'm just imagine it's part of your lifestyle too. But yeah, no, it absolutely is. And and for me, it's it's just more gratifying to see everything that God has given me, right? In terms of my height, those things like the ability to speak, 
two great parents, you know, all those things that you get as a kid that you really don't ask for, but you're given, this is kind of my blueprint and then be able to use that to help other people. And that's kind of my mantra for life in general, right? Is like, how can I serve others through my gifts and my talents? And so that's really where that came from. I was a type of player that I probably at a, a younger age and not really knowing I was molded into being a passer, being a ball handler, because I always played up. So I always played with girls that were better than me. So I wasn't the first person to try to score the ball. I was sure. trying to get them the ball to score. So that probably translated, you know, over into when I did get to my age group of how I was just so able to see that. But I, I kind of laughed because even my college coach will tell you this and people that have worked with me is I've always had a really great grasp on vision, right? And now with my organization, Athletes to Visionaries, and what does it mean to be a visionary and things like that, it's so directly related and that I'm able to see the court in such a big lens that now outside of sport now, I see life, right? In the development of girl athletes, the holistic development in such a big lens. So I think it's interesting how they translate, but overall, I mean, selflessness is like getting outside of yourself, essentially. How can you help the others around you? Because the more you help the others around you, while also putting the, the oxygen mask on yourself, don't <laughs> never neglect that. But you want to know how can you make this world a better place? How can you help others? Because ultimately that's the joy and fulfillment we're all kind of seeking. Did you ever have a moment as a teammate or in the work that you're doing now where you come across somebody who is clearly being a little bit too selfish, whether it's with the basketball or just in life in general. And can you maybe talk about how you were able to get them to see the other side or work with them to maybe they're still going to be a little bit selfish here and there, but not quite as totally selfish as they could be. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm one of them, right? Like <laughs> I have totally been selfish. I'm sure there's plenty of teammates that say Morgan's all about herself. She's so conceited. You know, like I'm sure I'm positive someone will say that about me, but <laughs> it takes a sense of maturity to understand and get to, to understand that it's, it's about more than you, that <clears throat> what you're doing sometimes can seem so, you're just so in your bubble of like, why am I not playing enough? Why am I not getting these opportunities? Or, you know, why are they not seeing me? That you kind of start to become selfish. Again, I think it just goes back to like really trying to focus on the direction of vision and the purpose of why you're doing what you're doing in general. When you lose that, that's when you become selfish. I know a lot of folks, myself included, and people that are listening to this podcast even, Maybe they've gone through some type of athletic transfer. Maybe they're considering doing some type of transfer. And it's obviously much easier now than it was when we were in school. Can you talk a little bit about what went into your decision to transfer from Northwestern to Florida State? I know you kind of alluded to it a little bit that maybe there was some fun missing out of your experience. But can you talk about what went into that decision-making process and then maybe give us some tips as to how we can now make those decisions. Cause that's a big decision to make to transfer, especially when you're talking like going from Chicago to Florida, like, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. I think that that decision in general, I mean, those are never easy decisions to make, but you know, hindsight now, I know a lot of people say, and it's, I'm not the first person to say that, you know, college athletics is a business. And I think, you know, the struggle that parents have, youth parents and, and youth athletes is 
they were having fun, right? In that high school stage, you know, you had friends, you had, um, you know, different opportunities that were very organic in the way that they grew, the way that they manifested. But when you transition into college, it is a business, right? At the end of the day, how many people are in those seats is directly correlated to revenue is, you know, title nine. I mean, there's just so many intricates of it, but the confusing part of it all is that it's wrapped up, right? If you get a gift, right, it's wrapped up in this, we're a family. We love you. You know, you're going to come here and thrive. We're going to take care of you. This is your home away from home. Yes and no, right? (laughs) Yes and no. To a certain extent, your job is to go there and you're receiving your $150,000 scholarship to perform, to produce on the court. That's ultimately what it is. Your coach is getting paid to win games, not to like you, right? So it's kind of really looking that in the face and saying, that's the reality of this situation, no matter how much I like this coach. Now, for me with Northwestern, I kind of got pushed there because of my parents and they'll tell you the same thing that obviously they wanted my sister and I to play together and Northwestern's a phenomenal academic institution. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a no brainer for them. My parents don't have college degrees. They're like, go get the best degree, go play with your sister. We'll move up there. My parents moved to Chicago. I mean, we're really close knit family, but um, I went there and it just wasn't for me. Uh, There was a lot of pressure on me playing a lot of minutes, taking a lot of shots while some people be like, I love that. For me, I really wanted to like make my imprint in some type of program to grow it. Um, and I just didn't see that potential there. In addition, you would kind of go around campus and some of the students need another football team because it's such a great academic school that athletics is like so second. Sure. I think they're shifting that culture at Northwestern, but that's something that I realized um, and which led me to say like, I want to go to a rich a rich athletic institution benefits of that. What I would advice I would give is when you get out of school, your degree is great. Don't get me wrong. You have to have it, but it's more about who, you know, so where, what school can you go to? What city can you go to? What environment can you be in where you can manifest the best relationships for your future? And that's ultimately Florida state gave me that. I mean, obviously I have plenty of friends that are in the NFL, in the NBA. Um, my, my teammates, female athletes are doing amazing things as well. Olympians, but everywhere you go. And every time I say I'm a Florida state Seminole, everyone knows what it is, right? Like, you don't, you know, Florida state athletics. So that was really important to me because it opens up a conversation starter and it's allowed me to manifest really great relationships. That's awesome advice. And I, can't stress enough how uh, how much I agree with that assessment that the degree matters. Like I, I don't think anyone would debate that. And to the degree, no pun intended, that you want to spend money on that and where you want to go, that's all going to depend on what you just said, what you want to do, how you want to create those networks and those groups of people that can help you in whatever you're doing after college. And whether you're a student athlete or you're just part of the general population, that's really good advice, I think, to say like, hey, where am I going to fit in? Probably if you think about what's going to happen next or what you think you want to do next, that can help you with some of that decision-making process. So I love that. And I'm curious, did you, from 
college? Did you have aspirations always to go play professionally after that? What did that whole dream look like? So after college, it was kind of a decision I had to make. I'll I'll be honest with you. I wasn't in love with basketball anymore. I was quite exhausted. You know, since I was a little girl, I was always told like, you know, you can go play professionally. Like you can make this a career. You know, all your friends, you're going to go to the WNBA one day. (laughs) And, you know, that never really spoke to like my heart and my drive. I knew it was always a, a destination to try to get to but never really knew like, is that really what I want to do? Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds cool, but what's it really like? So when I left Florida state, I did, I went on and, and was like, let me just see what this is like to become a pro and also add this to my resume. Right. You go, now you go into situations say I play professional basketball. It's a little bit different. So I went, I played um, professionally in Puerto Rico for three months. I got there and it was an awesome experience in terms of the culture that I was able to be a part of, um, learn about completely different environment. We stayed at home all day and we had practice at night at seven o'clock and the practices were like walkthroughs because some of your teammates had like real jobs and kids and, you know, so it was, it was totally different. I mean, you go from college where it's like every, every hour is planned out to like, now you have all this freedom time of like, now how do you become a pro? It, it's a lot different. Sure. Um, so it was it was a it was a struggle, but it still seemed like that constant theme that I experienced as an athlete, which is kind of when you step into this realm of it being a business is I love you when you're doing great, I hate you when you're not. <laughs> and that got a little old <laughs> when you know for me it, it just wasn't my drive to like be you know the best player on the planet and some people will be like how did you not want to do that and it's like that just wasn't what was in me I knew there was more and that this sport was serving me to do more and so that was the transition that I had to make and I had to look in the mirror and say okay are you ready to let this sport go and step in and have faith in what's next not knowing but having faith and um it's like the best decision I made difficult, hard transition, but um, I'm really glad I did it. I did it on my terms. Hey everyone, Christine here from Sweat with Stods, one of this show's sponsors. The Dynamic Leaders podcast is here to help you be a better leader, and the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically. I'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone. As a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes, I've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym. These are intelligently structured programs, giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, get quick results with Hit at Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com, that's sweat with S-T-O-D-D-S.com, to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today. Now, did you hop right into founding the Athletes Division Aries company? Was there something in between basketball and that? How did that all come about? Yeah, <laughs> no way did I jump into this whole epiphany that I've had. <laughs> There's like nothing good in life that comes without some type of struggle, right? Like sure. if you're not, if it doesn't come from a place of like struggle and knowing that it's going to help, it's just not worth it. So when I transitioned out, started to realize, okay, my whole entire identity was in my sport. Now it's gone. 
who am I? I'm back on the couch with my mom and dad. I'm driving Uber on New Year's Eve, right, to get by. <laughs> Was partying a lot, right? Trying to like look for the next fulfillment because you're empty. That led to a very destructive path for me. Kind of trying to pull myself out of it and really look back at like, whoa, what just happened? I've been playing basketball for 17 years of my life. Now it's like gone. It's absent. What do I do now? And kind of trying to figure that out, I I started to look at this process of the athlete and saying, okay, how can we better this thinking person first, athlete second, and then how they coincide? Like, How do they come together? How can we keep the person, not the name on the back of the jersey, the front of the jersey, not like your stats, the person, how do we nurture the person? And so for me, it was a lot about like these intentional conversations and spaces for your personal development, your mental health, that holistic lens of being an athlete. And the reality that we all know, it's no secret, it's going to end at some point for everyone. How do we prepare athletes early on to be able to navigate life with direction and focus when their sport is done? I love that so much. And my work is very similar to your work. And I think that one of the biggest aspects that you've already talked about, and I'd love now to dive in deeper into your work. So you work specifically with females to transform their understanding that their sport is not who they are, but what they do. But you talked about the vision and I can see behind you, there's a vision board. And I've seen in your work before that (laughs) you've held up vision boards when you've spoken to teams and you've talked about how important vision is. And I wanted to say really quickly how I think vision is one of those things that can slow down the process and help you, to your point, see things better. So I'll just say this real quick and then I'll let you talk about what vision means to you and how you do that work with student athletes. But I coached an 8U co-ed basketball team this past winter. And one of the biggest things we tried to focus on the entire time was vision. And we were literally talking about keeping your head up (laughs) when you dribble, because when you're eight years old, all you want to do is get to the basket, right? Like that's it. And as soon as these kids get the ball, they put their heads down and they're running into their teammates. They're running into the other players. And it's just at that development stage where they just pick their head up. Not only will they be able to see where they're going, but they'll be able to see their open teammates and try to get them to be selfless with the ball and distribute to open people and get the best shot that way. So we talked about it so much and it's hard with eight year olds right, to say like, hey, your vision is going to help you literally see the court better, but it's also going to slow the game up for you because you're going to be able to see things that are happening in real time, but it's going to seem like it's slowing down for you because you'll see them in, in that way. It's almost like a baseball player. That's the sport I played when they talk about when your vision's so good, you see the baseball, this little white round ball as a watermelon or as a beach volleyball. So I'd love to hear about vision and everything that goes into that work with you. I think that's such an interesting topic and something that probably doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah. Well, I love that, that analogy you just used and, and teaching, you know, eighth graders about that of like, right. Keeping your head up, like seeing where you're going, you know, having direction, you put your head down like this, you become pigeonholed the same direct relation, right. 
It's like as athletes, you know, your head's down, right? Next practice, next team meal, next game, you know, next uh, volunteering event, you know, school, whatever it is, it's, there's always something next. And the, and it's always feeding that athletic persona that we never really like slow down. And I love what you said about that. It's like vision helps you slow down mm-hmm. and then slow down and really say, well, like, but who am I? And I know that's such a broad question and, and it's, you know, it can go so many different ways, but I think to take you back to the very first question you asked me of like, who am I? If you asked people that, they probably would spit out a bunch of and this and this and this and this and this, but never really have thought about that. So for me, vision is really and truly like having bold and original ideas about what your future is going to be like or who you are. Only you can answer those questions, right? Only you can truly know and understand what your heart desires. And the more we can tap into that, the more we start living with purpose and direction. There's one student athlete that I mentor and it's very intrigued. And so for me, when I think of vision and like how you develop a vision or you go from being an athlete to a visionary, there's three, there's three parts, right? There's that self-awareness, right? I'm starting to realize like I'm my own competition. I'm functioning in who I am every day. And if I don't evaluate the way that I'm functioning, then I become a victim to everyone else's opinions. So it's that self-awareness. It's that curiosity. Curiosity, you have to want to know and be intrigued by more than your sport, more than everything we just talked about, in order to start to develop a vision that's bigger. It's a very difficult thing to do when you're just doing your sport. And one way that I try to stay intentional about not feeding that athlete identity is really trying to be innovative and curious about the person beyond that jersey. Very difficult to do, but I do sports broadcasting right now, and I'm actually headed to the ACC tournament today. And when I talk to these girls, I do my very best not to talk about their statistics or say, hey, good game, or hey, what do you think about this game? Because literally that's me feeding that identity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's for me, it's like, Hey, what's, what was your upbringing like? Do you have any sisters? Do you have any brothers? You know, what do you want to do when sports over? You know, one girl, I was like, Hey, you wore a bun three games in a row. Like, what's up with that? You know, tell me about your thought process, you know, just kind of trying to get a little bit more inside of their workings. Um, and it helps me be, be a better broadcaster because obviously all the statistical stuff is there. And then the third one is service. So at some point you're going to have to, want to do something for more than yourself. I don't know everyone on this planet. I don't care what stage you're at. If you make billions of dollars and you're there, you don't need anything or anyone. You're still going to have this innate desire to serve someone else. And so whenever that process happens or it takes place for an athlete or whatever, that is the ultimate athlete to visionary is getting to the point where what you do, you understand your purpose is bigger and serving others. One of the areas that I imagine can be a roadblock to getting through to a student athlete is something you alluded to earlier where you talked about when you're playing basketball and by the time you get into college, you've been playing for, I don't know what, 14, 15 years or so. If you start when you're five, six, seven. So you've been playing for such a long time. I think 
the biggest roadblock for a lot of folks is envisioning themselves doing anything but the sport that they played. So how do you break through that wall when you're trying to establish a vision for something that has been such a strong aspect of somebody's life for such a long time? I don't think that that can be done alone. I don't think athletes have the know-how or the maturity or the experience to understand how to navigate, you know, outside of this athlete identity alone. Um, It's really going to take an intentional effort of parents, of coaches, of administrators to instill that value in them beyond just their sport. Give them more experiences and opportunities that ignite that curiosity. I don't think adults, right, their leaders truly understand the value in that. And that's what we're trying to kind of reiterate here is, is in creating these intentional spaces and places for athletes to kind of venture out a little bit and feed the other part of themselves. The framework for vision then that you just broke down for us, self-awareness, curiosity, and service. And I think all three are equally important, but what I'd like to focus a little bit of time on here is the self-awareness piece, because I know how difficult of a trait that is to build up and how many people struggle with it. Just talking from my corporate recruiting background in the past and knowing that that was like a soft trait that we would look for in candidates and how many people just simply didn't have it. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about self-awareness, how we develop it. What is it when we're talking about self-awareness? Yeah. Um, well, there's many different ways, right? Individual can be self-aware. And it's funny because a lot of people do think they're self-aware. <laughs> and I, and I kind of like, I laugh because it's like, oh, there's just, it's just so much deeper than that. You know, <laughs> like it's so much deeper than knowing if you want like a ham or turkey sandwich, like it's just deeper. <laughs> but no, um, I think, you know, really kind of going back to your roots, you know, you can't really talk about being self-aware if you don't understand where you come from. You don't understand the hand you were dealt as a child, and how that is manifested or, you know, exists in your present. So that's always where self-awareness starts. And it's a very hard journey to go on because as you get older, you kind of look back or as you go on that journey of self-awareness, you look at the way you were brought up, the things you were told, the normal things, if you will, that you've taken on that may have not be what you want for your life. Or, you know, you may have to start challenging those things. And, you know, for me on my journey, I was, I'm very fortunate that I have parents that opened up conversation of this is where we went wrong, you know, or this is what we taught you. And maybe we didn't teach you the right way, you know, because every single person, right? It's functioning based off of their own understanding, their upbringing. So when you look at that, right, for me, my parents, I grew up with a Caucasian mom and an African-American dad, right? Well, what has that given me is the ability to see people through a total different lens of background, culture. In addition, neither one of them have college degrees, right? So they parent me their best based on what they came from or what they knew. So given that, how do I take that and then continue to build on it? So again, the journey always starts as a little kid. And when you're, when you're willing to go back to how you were brought up, that's the start of that. To second point that 
it's really, you know, you talk about who you are and then what you do and the difference. And for me, it's really understanding, like, are you a human being, right? Are you being yourself a human that's imperfect or are you a human doing where all you're doing is just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and never stop to be. And when you stop to be and you reflect and we talk about meditation mindfulness and things like that, then you can start to go back to what we said, that vision, right? That self-awareness of how am I going to navigate life according to my uniqueness? Cause Colin, you're different than me. Our upbringings are totally different, but the moment that I start to try to be like you, I've lost my whole entire <laughs> uniqueness of who I am. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> so it's a complex thing, but again, the journey starts when you're a child. So cool. And I think there's so many great points. And I think before we move on to the next part of our conversation, what I just want to highlight really quickly is the fact that when you understand where you came from, it allows you to either build on the traits and attributes that you develop that are strong and that you want to continue to sharpen, or it can allow you to question or challenge some of the notions that just grew up knowing and thinking were true, but may not be now. And that can be because time changes things. That could be because your education changes your view of things. But I think it's important that it's okay, is what you said, to challenge the notion of what your parents taught you, for example, and to question it. You don't have to be these like super devoted disciples of everything that you were when you were a kid. But it is also important to understand that that probably has a large foundation in the understanding of who you are. 100%. Very cool. Okay. I want to talk about the entrepreneurial piece of just who you are quickly before we totally move off of that. Because as you talked about in that first question, you are juggling a number of different things, both professionally and personally right now. And I'd love for you to give us some advice. I think when people think of entrepreneurs, they think one of two things. They think of this like super successful person that's made millions and billions of dollars and that's all they can see. Or they think about entrepreneurship as like this primary and only aspect of life. Like it's the only thing that you do. Like you're not a mom, you're not a sister, (laughs) you're not a fiance, those type of things. And you clearly are. And that's something that's important to you because you stated that earlier in the conversation. So how do you do the entrepreneurial thing, which is super stressful at times, super time consuming and difficult not to say that it's not fun either, but it's very difficult. How do you do that with everything else that you're doing on top of your personal life. And then, like I said, you're going to the ACC tournament today to call some games. How do you juggle all of that? Oh gosh. I ask myself this question too. Sometimes like, how am I doing this again? Like my son was just sick for a week with the flu and I still managed to do it all. Um, (laughs) I will say uh, shout out to all my women. We are super women, superheroes by all means. We do a lot. We can manage a lot, but in terms of entrepreneurship, it's, it's a ton of self-talk. You're really on the journey with yourself. That's one thing that was a huge shift was like, how committed am I to the accountability of me? Because with entrepreneurship, no one's telling you to get up to work. No one's telling you to send the invoices. No one's telling you to send that email, you know, get on a sales call, whatever. No one is doing that. 
you have to motivate yourself to do that. So in entrepreneurship, you have to love what you do. First of all, you have to have routine and discipline. You can't just think you're going to like women left and right and just think you're going to get by that. That won't work. (laughs) But I think the common misconception about entrepreneurship is I'm the boss. Everyone do what I say. So not accurate. Entrepreneurship, you literally do everything, everything. (laughs) And you want to get to a point where you're able to delegate tasks, but Again, that misconception that if I had money, I could just pay people to do it. No, when you have money, then you have to train other people how to do it. So you have to know how to do it so you can train someone else how to do it. Because no one is going to understand your vision for your company besides you. So if you don't know how to articulate and teach that to someone else, they can't help you. So that's been the most difficult transition for me is trying to be a good leader in entrepreneurship because I have all these ideas and know-hows that are hanging out in my mind that I'm like talking to my interns and I'm like, what do you mean you don't understand? Like, (laughs) you know, but understanding that I have to be a better teacher and getting people to, to help me effectively. So that's kind of a mouthful, but for anyone that's starting entrepreneurship is don't fall into the notion or the idea that it's just cool to be an entrepreneur and everything's going to be gravy because I can make my schedule and and do things on my terms. It's very, very difficult. It takes a ton of discipline and you really are on the journey with yourself and be trying, trying to become the best leader and accountable to yourself. Yeah. And I love that. And I think that it's really entrepreneurs, the whole journey for us, it's really interesting in music. A lot of times musicians start out in bands and then they end up venturing off into the solo career. Whereas I think it's, kind of flipped here where you start solo and no matter how big you want to get, eventually you're going to get to a point where it's going to be difficult to keep up with the daily tasks and procedures that you need to do without some type of help and delegating. So you almost want to get to that band type aspect where you have other people that believe just as strongly, like in a band sense in the music that you're playing, they believe as strongly in your vision for the company. So it's definitely a lot of work and I can <laughs> echo that sentiment that you need to be able to articulate in probably a more concise way than most of us can that vision. And mm-hmm. I, I just love all the work that you're doing. And can I, I something to that really quick, Colin? Absolutely. For a lot of new entrepreneurs, right? Like people that jump into it, there's this immense pressure that entrepreneurs take on of the persona, if you will, of I have it all going on. like. I've got this. Like, I know, I know my numbers. I know, like, I've got my logo. I've got my t-shirt. You know, I've got an idea of what I want to do. I need to create a book. I need to, you know, we have all this pressure of like things we're supposed to do to be an entrepreneur. And a, a real piece of advice to take is don't allow other people, places and things to pressure you to have this persona that you have it all going on. A lot of the times when you step into a room or you're talking to someone that can move your company forward, it's almost better to come to them and say, look, this is really where I'm at. I don't have all the answers, but what I know to be true is that my product, my service, my whatever is going to help this type of person or the world in this way. Staying true and foundational to that and allowing things to develop over time and have patience 
is going to play off astronomically. My mentor told me back when I started figuring out which way to go, he said, how old are you? I was like, I'm 25, you know, and he's like, oh my gosh, you're so young. And I'm like, no, I gotta be like making tons of money by the time I'm 27. I got work to do, you know? And he's like, Morgan, don't even think about making money until you're 35. Like just literally give yourself a 10 year window to go hard after what you're passionate about, create, invest, you know, do that. And then watch the money just start coming because you're clearer on the core of what you're doing instead of trying to chase a dollar or this persona that I'm an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And that advice has been just transformative in the way that Athletes and Visionaries is manifesting. I think that's so cool and such great advice to step back and allow yourself to have that time, whether it's 10 years or five years, whatever that vision looks like for you to just know that it's probably not going to happen overnight. right? <laughs> and you don't want it to, you really don't want it to. There's so many people that hit success so quick and it's like, you're there and you're like, okay, now what, yeah. you know, you have all these resources, all this money, but really don't know what to do with it. So it's like, enjoy the journey. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Morgan, where can we find you on social media, on the internet, if we want to follow along with your journey? Yeah, you can um, find me at Morgan Jones underscore MJ on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, LinkedIn is Morgan Jones. And then uh, Athletes to Visionaries, I'm sorry, just went blank. Athletes to Visionaries <laughs> is Athletes to Visionaries on Instagram. We're there, really just continuing to move this needle. And, and some people, so many people ask, how do I support? It's really and truly just sharing, you know, sharing this mission, sharing this conversation is the best way to support. I can't wait to be one of those supporters and be able to share this conversation. But Morgan, before I let you go, the show is called Dynamic Leaders and you have showcased a number of ways that you are dynamic in your leadership. But I always like to give my guests an opportunity to shout out someone in their own life who's been influential from a leadership standpoint. Do you have somebody that you want to give a quick shout out to? If I'm, if I'm picking someone that like is really in my life consistently, it's shout out to my mom. She's like a super dynamic leader. (laughs) Um, I mean, everything from just the way that she carries herself from the way that she has the ability to be strong and stand in what she believes in, but also be vulnerable is a trait that I take with me and for always believing in me always telling me that she's proud of me, always telling me that she believes in me, always telling me she has my back. That has given me so much confidence and security as I go on my own journey. So any parents, coaches, friends of someone that is listening to this is never discount telling your family or your friends that you're proud of them and that you believe in Thank you for that. And I think that's a great way to end this conversation. Thank you again, Morgan, for taking the time out of your day to do this. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. You're awesome.